welcome to Her, the Health Equity and Reflection Podcast, an AMWA and C. Carter Fellowship production, where we hope to inform and uplift female changemakers in global health. This is a production of the Anne C. Carter Global Health Fellows. All views and opinions are those of the individuals and not AMWA itself. Thank you for tuning in to this Global Insight episode of HER, the Health, Equity, and Reflection podcast. In this episode, you'll hear from an Anne C. Carter Global Health Fellow about hot-button topics related to global health. For more information on the topic, visit carterfellows.wordpress.com. Hi, everyone. It's Emily. I'm thrilled to bring you guys a solo episode today, so if you don't want to listen to my voice for the next 10 minutes, I get it. Consider yourself warned. I will be focusing on a crucial topic, humanitarian aid in times of crisis. In the realm of healthcare, many of us have grappled with feelings of helplessness when confronted with global challenges such as war, terrorism, territorial disputes, and political instability. As individuals drawn to medicine in order to make a positive impact, a lot of us have envisioned ourselves participating in organizations like the Peace Corps or Doctors Without Borders. Today, I want to explore how each of us can make a sustainable, safe, and meaningful impact by leveraging our own unique skill sets and abilities. What I am not here to do is talk about politics or tell you what to believe. I think that these concepts get so inseparably intertwined to the point of stagnation of progress for fear of misstepping, or as the kids say, being canceled. The conversation meant to be had today is one about people and getting them the care that they deserve. To set the stage, I'd like to delve into a concept I find fundamental to this discussion. It's a question posed by one of my favorite preceptors. What sets being a doctor apart from other professions like lawyers or engineers? Our exploration touched upon intimacy, morality, and commitment to lifelong learning. Ultimately, we discovered that as physicians, we've entered into a societal contract, a promise to do no harm and uphold the principles of beneficence and non-maleficence. Trust forms the bedrock of the relationship between patients and physicians. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights makes no reference to war, except to assert that respect for human rights is a means of preventing it. There cannot be health without peace and there cannot be peace without health. And as such, the WHO's Global Health and Peace Initiative was developed to better address the underlying drivers of critical health needs in fragile conflict affected in vulnerable settings. 80% of the WHO's humanitarian caseload, as well as 70% of disease outbreaks that the WHO responds to, take place in these settings. Humanitarian crises globally are on the rise, and they're becoming more frequent, more complex, and more persistent with children being disproportionately affected. These crises often intensify the risk for infectious disease, a common example being cholera, conflict, displacement, and poor access to safe drinking water, sanitation, and hygiene lead to increased spread of disease and hamper control efforts. There's been a long history of doctors traveling to areas of disasters or wars to set up projects providing medical aid. From the origins of the Red Cross movement in 1863 to the foundation of Doctors Without Borders in 1971, Doctors have been at the forefront of humanitarian aid since its modern inception. The original purpose of international humanitarian aid, a concept conceived after the First World War, was to alleviate the suffering of civilians during wars and conflicts. The first role that doctors often hold in humanitarian missions is acting as a medical doctor. This is probably the role you're most familiar with. 
This is usually when aid agencies deploy medical teams to disaster or conflict zones to directly provide medical care to affected people. They'll work in local hospitals or field clinics set up after the disaster. Doctors doing this type of humanitarian work will often work in a mixed team of international and local staff and do short-term missions while still retaining their jobs in their home countries. A second role that's common for doctors to take on while working on aid projects is a medical advisor. This is where doctors are deployed to humanitarian organizations to provide advice to medical projects. In these positions, doctors do not directly provide medical care or manage the aid projects, but their medical training to provide assistance and direction. Often medical advisors will work with a team of local doctors and medical staff to build their own capacity. Capacity building is a great collaborative way to rely on the strengths of different parties to ensure long-lasting success of a community program. Another position that medical doctors can hold is the role of program manager. The manager directly oversees the implementation of an aid project, including the line managing the staff, directing the implementation, coordinating with HR, and all the logistics and managing of the budget. They usually provide technical assistance to the medical teams while also being responsible for the implementation of the health project as well. Another way that physicians can participate in humanitarian aid is fundraising and raising awareness of current events and the medical repercussions of war in similar situations. As physicians, as mentioned, our entire profession is based on a foundation of trust. As such, we have a natural platform and a responsibility to remain educated and use our voice to advocate for people who cannot advocate for themselves. This is often an arena that feels very inseparable from politics. In times of crisis, it's important to remain neutral and speak to the medical facts relating to the implications of conflict on civilians. Lastly, advocacy and influencing policy regarding such events is an avenue you can take to make an impactful change. Academia must also be strongly engaged in this as no other sector is better equipped to bring evidence and science to bear on policy development and counter falsehoods masquerading as facts. With this privileged knowledge comes a moral obligation to act. Failing to do so undermines our duty to society to improve the well-being of people and the planet where we can. I want to highlight some organizations that lead the charge in humanitarian aid and that I feel particularly passionate about. I like to use a website called Charity Tracker to ensure I only promote and support charities who have high transparency. They use data from the IRS, partners, and charities themselves to power unbiased ratings so that you can be confident that the care goes to who it needs to. To start, Doctors Without Borders was founded in 1971 in France by a group of doctors and journalists in the wake of the war and famine in Nigeria. They aimed to establish an organization that focused on delivering emergency medical aid quickly, effectively, and impartially. Since then, the charity has become a game-changer in humanitarian movement with a global reach. They possess a tight network of volunteering and working doctors, nurses, and local aid workers worldwide, which allows them to be among the first on the scene. Doctors Without Borders currently has 45,000 staff members providing over 10 million medical consultations in more than 70 countries every year. The foundation won a Nobel Peace Prize in 1999 for their work. Direct Relief operates in all 50 U.S. states in more than 80 countries. In 2021, they provided over $1.5 billion for humanitarian aid worldwide. Since 2010, they have assisted Africa with a total of $4 billion in medical treatments and over 500 million doses of medicine and emergency supplies. They have also directed over $1.7 billion in medical aid following natural disasters like hurricanes, wildfires, and tornadoes in the United States. Feeding America was founded in the late 1960s by John Van Hengel, 
with the core aim to serve people facing hunger. He established food banks that stored food, which impoverished people could pick up later, rather than it being wasted. Today, they are the largest American hunger relief organization, with a powerful and efficient network of food banks across the country. During crisis, they use their nationwide network to deliver emergency food, water, and supplies to impacted areas. I volunteer weekly at a Feeding America location in my city, and I could not recommend it more. And lastly, the United Nations World Food Program is the world's largest humanitarian organization, saving lives in emergencies and using food assistance to build a pathway to peace, stability, and prosperity for people recovering from conflict, disasters, and the impact of climate change. A total of 93.5% of all contributions go directly to supporting life-saving and life-changing operations. Regarding the current conflict in Gaza, I urge everyone to conduct their own research, form educated conclusions based on factual information from sources you trust. The latest Integrated Food Security and Nutrition Phase Classification, IPC, report found devastating levels of food insecurity in Gaza and confirmed that the entire population of Gaza, roughly 2.2 million people, are in crisis or worse levels of acute food insecurity. Currently, again, the entire civilian population residing within Gaza is reliant on aid for food. The World Food Program has been providing food to people inside Gaza every single day since October 7th and reached more than 900,000 people with food assistance in December. The heads of the World Food Program, UNICEF, and the World Health Organization say that getting enough supplies into Gaza is dependent on the opening of new entry routes, more trucks being allowed through the border checks each day, fewer restrictions on the movement of humanitarian workers, and guarantees for safety for people accessing and distributing this aid. The average Gazan is only accessing an average of 1.5 to 2 liters of water daily. To address this, UNICEF and partners have been providing safe drinking water to over 1.3 million people, but much more is needed to address the desperate conditions. UNICEF has also provided medical supplies, including 600,000 doses of vaccines, nutritional supplementation, and vitamins to children and pregnant women, and humanitarian cash transfers to over 500,000 households. Again, I encourage each one of you to stay informed about global events, conduct your own research, and find your own unique ways to contribute to making a positive global impact through humanitarian aid. If you want to check out any of the sources I used for this piece or support any of the organizations I mentioned, the links are in the caption below. Thanks for listening.